0: I am Ken, and I'm Dee, and this is Antiques Freaks podcast. Book time to read book. This week we'll be discussing the second story in the trilogy of antique-themed romance novellas, The Boardwalk Antique Shop Story Two: Solving for X, by Julie Wright and/or Melanie Jacobson and/or Heather B. Moore. They haven't been exactly clear about who wrote which story. <laughs> Which I love, personally. From the blurb, Tangerine Street is a must-see tourist stop with a colorful mix of -of one-of-a-kind boutiques, unique restaurants, eclectic museums, quaint bookstores, and exclusive bed-and-breakfasts. The Boardwalk Antique Shop is an exclusive shop where every antique has a story, and each story possesses the gift to match true love. The customer who buys an antique also buys its story, and soon discovers that its story unites the past with the present, creating an unexpected romantic future. As for Solving for X in particular, Abby is only a little bit obsessed with antiques. Okay, a lot. So when Holden, an out-of-town business executive, tries to purchase the tin soldiers that Abby's had her eye on, Abby refuses to back down. The antique shop owner issues a challenge. Whoever comes up with the best story for wanting the soldiers will become the new owner. Abby isn't about to let some fancy executive beat her out, no matter how charming he is. And before we get into it, I do want to just cite possibly the most relevant quote in the entire story. Ooh, yes. It's the control every storyteller has to sacrifice when they give up a story. The right to decide how it's received. Okay, yeah. That was also my favorite quote. (laughs) I'm glad we both picked up on it. I must say, stumbling across that on page 166 did alleviate any guilt I had over not enjoying this book. (laughs) I enjoyed
1: this one more than the last one. Really? That's not saying
0: much, but I did. Sorry, okay. You liked solving for X better than the first story in the collection, Message in a Bottle.
1: Yeah. I thought there was more development. What? Things changed more over time? What are you talking about? The characters, the characters underwent a form of development. I'm not saying that, like, the development was good or that the characters were good or that they they developed into better characters. It's just that it did happen. And that was different.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean... So, Dee, what did you think of the antiques in this antiques-themed contemporary romance? Surprisingly lacking.
1: Uh, I learned way more about how to, like, conduct a fucking business retreat seminar than
0: I did about antiques. I did take notes on all the antiques mentioned in the book and uh, it took half a page. That's it. (laughs) Wait, that's already more than
1: I can remember. There's the Tin Soldiers, which their presence in the book,
0: I don't think actually adds very much. The four vintage World War II army privates in their olive green uniforms, each in a different pose as they prepared for the enemy. Yeah, they show up at the very beginning of the story and affect nothing else. They
1: change nothing.
0: They change nothing. They could have been four (laughs) lollipop sticks found scattered on the sidewalk for all they affected the story.
1: They weren't even the impetus for the characters to get to know each other. That was an entirely different, like, happenstance that happens in no vicinity of the antique shop. Like, they encounter each other at first due to the soldiers, but it has nothing to do with anything that happens in terms of their relationship
0: developing. Might as well have never happened. The other two antiques mentioned three entire antiques in this antiques-themed contemporary romance novel are the, quote, Ormolu clock. D, as our resident clock expert, I assumed you might know more about that.
1: It just means a clock decorated with Baroque golden appendages, pieces. Okay. Like, Ormolu is a description of a, a kind of gold decor frequently found on wood pieces.
0: That sounds like it would be a brilliant visual piece in an antique shop that might more more description than just the word Ormolu with no explanation.
1: Yeah, that did really shock me because I've never said Ormolu to anyone and had them immediately understand what the fuck I was talking about. It's a real niche piece of knowledge that you should never assume someone has, especially in a book.
0: And the third antique is our protagonist's laptop bag, which we are informed was made from a repurposed quilt, but it was in an understated blackened cream twill print.
1: Actually, doesn't she have two bags that are made from quilts? That's just the only one we know is an antique.
0: Yes, that is the only one that is in repurposed vintage fabric. Okay. And again, you could remove it from the story entirely and lose nothing. Much like the clock, which only exists to be glanced at once and then be instantly forgotten. The clock exists
1: just so that the author can prove that they know what Armolu is.
0: She could have a waxed canvas Nightmare Before Christmas messenger bag from Hot Topic and it would have exactly the same effect on the plot as her repurposed quilting bag.
1: Well, no, it would have made me hate her a lot, (laughs) but that's because I worked at Hot Topic, so that really can't be helped. And it's not even, it's not an indictment of people who enjoy The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's got nothing to do with, like, that. It's just literally that, like, looking at the products now kind of just sort of, like,
0: reflexively enrages me. The back of the book describes Abby as a lot obsessed with antiques. And for someone a lot obsessed with antiques, she sure spends next to no time looking at, thinking about, or collecting them. Or even having them present in her life.
1: Yeah, we're told that she has quite a few. We see none of them, which, you know, it would have been pretty easy to explore her eclectic personality through her antiques collection, I think. That could have been a fun thing to do as an author. That didn't happen. And she doesn't seem to connect with antiques in any special way. In fact, her character's relationship
0: to antiques reads flat out
1: as a hoarder.
0: Yeah, the toy soldiers are very much an impulse purchase, which she instantly forgets about. Like, it is very harder.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, you definitely get the impression that she buys things because she enjoys buying things, and not because she has a special relationship. This story is about stories. So why we didn't get, like, the love interest coming over for dinner and her talking about all the stories about her personal antiques collection. And then you'd get to know, like, you'd be like, wow, all these antiques look like shit put together because they're, like, 400 different things. And then you could be like, well, they look like that, but here's a quick story. And then you would have the antiques driving the narrative and, and your understanding of the character. And the other characters' reactions drive your understanding of that character. Wow,
0: that would have been interesting, huh? We didn't get that. So in the initial meeting between our protagonists, Abby and Holden, they meet at the antique store because they both see the toy soldiers in the shop window and want them very badly. And the shop owner, Jennifer Day, the heroine of the previous story, Message in a Bottle, says she will give the toy soldiers to whoever tells the best story about why they want them. Abby wants these soldiers very badly. We are told she does. We're never told why, because... And she doesn't tell a story! She doesn't ever tell the story of why she wanted them. We get Holden telling his version of why he wanted them, which is a lie that he stole off the internet, which Abby catches him in. And because Abby catches him in the lie, she gets to have the soldiers by default.
1: Yeah, which is shitty of Jennifer.
0: But she never has to tell the story. And she never thinks to offer it up to Holden as, like, a part of a gang to know you thing. Or, like, this is how you tell a real story because, spoiler alert, she's also, like, a children's book author and a moderately successful one at that. So stories are supposed to be, like, her thing. She runs business seminars, like, to get tech people thinking creatively. By teaching them how to tell stories? Storytelling is her entire livelihood. She never tells the story of why she wants the toy soldiers. I suspect because the author forgot she wanted them in the first place. Also pretty shitty of Jennifer, I think. How would you have handled that situation as a business owner and a seller of vintage goods? As soon as the
1: the words I'll pay triple came out of his mouth, I'd sell it to him. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say, well... (laughs) That's certainly a motivator both for me as the seller and kind of tells its own story about how badly he wants these. So sorry, Abby, you buy something here every other day. And I love you deeply. And I'll buy you a cupcake to make up for this. But you do understand how three times is more times than one times of the payment. So goodbye.
0: Three is clearly a bigger number. I didn't realize you were so mercenary. At three times the price, I am extremely mercenary. (laughs) There's
1: a point where you can fully shove past any sense of, like, integrity I think I have. And, like, they're expensive. It's it's hinted that they're expensive to begin with. So, like, even if you say, like, oh, okay, these are 300 and he offers to pay me 900 well then,
0: yes. <laughs> I uh, I do have to eat. Would you feel differently if we had ever learned why Abby herself wanted the toy soldiers? Absolutely, yeah.
1: If Abby had given any indication about why they were important to her, I would have felt much differently about it. As it stands, it really boiled down to how much money was someone willing to pay. And if I was spirited into Jennifer's body and some sort of demon was standing behind me and says, you have to do the fucking story grift, I would make Abby tell the story before I decided who won. Because Holden is 100% correct when it switches to his POV and he clarifies that no one said it had to be a true or personal story.
0: It just had to be a story. So
1: it doesn't matter that he stole the story. It might matter. It might still be interesting to see her call him out for it and for everyone to realize that the story is not a personal or meaningful one. But it might still be better than whatever Abby's got to say. Because as far as I know, she's got nothing to say.
0: Absolutely nothing. abby Absolutely nothing. abby absolutely Ha <laughs> ha oh, We do have fun. Oh my god, we're so quirky. Just like Abby! Yeah, the kind of quirky you even write a book. So quirky, she inspires me to walk into the sea and never raise my head above the waves again. Honestly, that's the quirkiest thing you could do. <laughs> God. Okay, I feel like this book wanted to be a deconstruction of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope. Yes, I- alright, and, and full disclosure, that's what- that is one of the parts I enjoyed about it. The central romance is between Abby, the quirky children's book author who supposedly enjoys antiques, we never see her actually enjoying them, but supposedly she does, and Holden, the uh, Silicon Valley tech executive who is forced to go on a creativity retreat by his boss, which Abby coincidentally happens to be running. And so the conflict between their personalities is he's, you know, very stodgy, buttoned up, work focused, efficiency focused, not really wanting to take time out to do anything that isn't work. And she is a free-flowing creative who needs several different alarms on her phones to function, which I can relate to that. But even I am not so quirky that I would seize a stranger by his tie and cut it off with a pair of scissors.
1: I was gonna say... I don't think I ever actually came to really like Abby. Because the
0: first thing we see her do is assault a man? Yeah. And that was a hell of an introduction. Yeah, if that's your establishing character moment, we've got a lot of work to do to make her sympathetic. And frankly, the book doesn't do it.
1: And literally all he had done at that point was offer to pay money for goods, which is not rude, and and be dressed like a businessman, which she personally finds unappealing.
0: Because she has dated several businessmen in the past and that's why she's so reluctant to act on her feelings for Holden because several times over men have been initially attracted to her because she's so fun and quirky and then slowly but surely wanted to change her and make her less fun and quirky and more, you know, reliable. Normcore.
1: And I liked that aspect. I liked that it was going for that. I don't know that it ever successfully got there but it it was an enjoyable deconstruction effort.
0: Big you tried sticker all over this. Big gold,
1: big gold blue ribbon that says
0: you did your best. The not as big a jerk as you could have been award. <laughs> not only is Abby so quirky that she will just grab a man by the tie and hack it off with scissors, but she's so quirky that at her second meeting with the same man, she will for absolutely no reason, just slap him on the ass. Yeah. So first meeting, regular assault. Second meeting, sexual
1: assault. That was after she spent, like, an entire work period bullying him?
0: Yes. Prior to this, she also spent, like, the entire creativity seminar drawing cruel caricatures of him on the whiteboard at the front of the seminar.
1: Again, for no reason other than he didn't seem to be particularly enjoying the seminar. And then again, and that was just her assuming he wasn't based on his facial expressions.
0: Which, hey, some of us have resting bitch face. We can't help it. And also, as a creative who understands that creatives give up the right to determine how their creative work is interpreted once they offer it up for interpretation, you should be better at taking implied criticism from your audience in public. Yeah. You should have a slightly thicker skin than this, Abby. Yeah. You should probably understand that like your approach isn't going to work 100% of the time for literally all people. Being someone who colors outside the lines metaphorically yourself, you should understand that there is no one-size-fits-all solution, even if you're the one offering the solution.
1: But there is one-size-fits-all solution, and it's her fucking cat stories, and if you say otherwise, she's going to physically and then sexually assault you.
0: Jesus Christ. What is, okay, D, you have also read other contemporary het romance, right? Unfortunately, yes. Have you noticed they seem to operate in this, like, alternate realm of morality? How do you mean? Where, like, any violence a woman does is, like, fun and quirky and to be laughed off by the hero?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They all subscribe to that weird double standard. If Holden was the one doing any of the stuff Abby had done, it would be horrifying.
0: He certainly would no longer be the romantic lead. Well, yeah, he
1: he would unequivocally be a villain of some sort.
0: So, okay. Once upon a time, I went to a writing workshop where the author giving the talk gave an example of, like, character-building moments from her own book where the hero of the story was new in town, so he went into the hair salon for a haircut, and the hairdresser happened to be a friend of the woman he was attempting to date who didn't think he was good enough to date her friend. And so instead of giving him the haircut he asked for, she shaved his head bald. And the author was like, see, this is a great character building moment for our hero because he doesn't take it personally. He shrugs it off and laughs about it. So we know he's a good guy. And I was just saying, they like, ma'am, are you okay? Do we need to check on your friends and loved ones? Because if, say, for example, Dee, you ran a hair salon, And my partner went in there for a haircut, and you didn't think my partner was good enough for me, so you shaved their head? We would have to have, at the very least, a very serious discussion about our future of our friendship, because what the hey? Yeah, like, that's,
1: like, het romance has that problem where free-spirited and quirky almost always translates to, like, incapable of respecting or understanding the point of boundaries. Then it's always just like, oh, she's gonna fix him by doing all the stuff he doesn't want to happen to him to him. When it's just like, that sucks. That sucks and that's not how people connect.
0: Backing down from, like, the assault conversation, Abby continues to do very quirky manic pixie dream girl things that also get on my nerves a lot. Oh, like how she doesn't let him eat food on their dinner date? Yes. <laughs> really angry. So on their dinner date, instead of taking him out to a meal with like proteins and vegetables, she takes him first to a dessert bakery for a cupcake and then to a candy store for taffy. And that's dinner. And then she leaves him. (laughs) Because she's so quirky, she wants to eat dessert first.
1: That would have worked perfectly fine if they'd gone to dinner at like, I would have thought it was actually like a pretty cute moment where she's just like, you seem like the kind of guy who never eats dessert first and they have a cupcake and then they go out to dinner. But then she just feeds him more candy and then leaves. (laughs) Bye.
0: Yeah. So two things. Eating dessert first is fine as a life philosophy of like, you know, don't put off the things you enjoy doing in favor of the things you feel like you have to do. You know, it's good to have like a nice balance of things you enjoy doing and things you have to do. As a nutritional practice, eating dessert first is very bad for your body, specifically your pancreas. Because your pancreas functions much better if it has to deal with the sugar in your bloodstream slowly. If, for example, you weigh it down with a bunch of proteins, which take a long time to digest, and then add the sugars. Because your body will digest the protein slowly, and that slow digestion will slow down the process of digesting the sugars, introducing them to your bloodstream more slowly so your pancreas will not have to flood your body with so much insulin to combat it.
1: You didn't think you were gonna get a lecture on health today, but you are.
0: So, to promise someone dinner <laughs> and then give them a cupcake and taffy is a little irresponsible. And if I can get dark for a second here, oh, it's no. a practice used by cults. <laughs> is to deny people proteins and stuff them full of carbs. Because if you do that often enough and for long enough, it will actually impair your brain function and make you more susceptible to groupthink. It's actually, a lot of the things Abby does
1: are pretty in line with cult behaviors. Like, she very specifically refuses to adhere to any kind of schedule.
0: Which makes everything she does have a sense of immediacy and urgency and uncertainty that forces people to go along with whatever she's doing. Yeah. Because they can't be dependent on her doing anything else at any other time. So whenever Abby shows up, it's Abby time and you best be doing what Abby wants.
1: I also don't know about you, but even if it's just friends inviting me out to dinner, I tend to either like eat lightly or just kind of like not eat so that I can like, you know, just really like fully immerse myself in the dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to just be like, have some fucking jelly beans, I'm going, is pretty, like,
0: harsh. She just met this man. She doesn't know if she, he's a type 2 diabetic or not.
1: I guess he could have said, I'm a type 2 diabetic, Abby, and I would really like to have some carb-free protein.
0: Um, <laughs> Or, I'm hypoglycemic, Abby, and I'm already very hungry because you told me to get dinner with you instead of eating it on my own.
1: Oh, you can't, you can't tell her that because then she'll just be like, well, and the cupcakes are a good idea.
0: Oh, boy. And again... This is an antiques-themed story. This is the middle story in an antiques trilogy.
1: You know what really grinds my goddamned gears? I almost fucking... I forgot it was my Kindle for a second. I almost hurled it against a wall. Oh, see, that's why I got the paperback. Yeah, I know. I wish I had done that. Guilt-free
0: wall hurling.
1: Yeah, I could have done it.
0: Support local bookstores with bookshop.org.
1: And your rage simultaneously. I did buy my Kindle copy from bookshop.org.
0: There you go. Um...
1: (laughs) I was really, really beyond infuriated that all of this stuff about, like, she doesn't care about what people think, she's very independent, she's very, like, self-sufficient, was paired with all of the characters commenting on how she seems to subsist on cupcakes, but hasn't gained a pound.
0: Oh, that old cliche. That really cranks it for me, you know? That really gets the old goat. She's not like other girls. She doesn't have to watch what she eats all the time. It's so carefree dining with her. It makes me angry. If we might delve into petty bullshit for a moment. One thing that really ground my gears personally is that she's described as a blonde and also always wearing yellow. At one point she wears a yellow hat. I don't know if anyone listening is blonde or knows any blondes. Never put a blonde in yellow. It's a terrible look. It will always clash. What are you doing? Stop it. Get help.
1: (laughs) I really thought they were just going to hang with the, like, pinks and pastels kind of thing, but they didn't.
0: Pinks look great. Blues look great. Greens can look okay if they're jewel-toned enough. Yellows? Absolutely not. What are you doing? Stop it.
1: But Abby doesn't care about beauty standards or matching colors. That's why she's conventionally attractive and thin.
0: She's a visual artist! She illustrates the children's books she writes and then draws through the creativity seminars she gives to Silicon Valley types. And yet she has no idea to not wear clothes that clash with her natural hair color. She's not
1: like other girls. She's skinny. In terms of petty bullshit, my favorite petty bullshit was definitely the fucking gymnastics done to try to make a business mogul character that wasn't completely morally bankrupt.
0: (laughs) Yes, he's developing a smartphone to rival Apple, but he wants to give it to children in low-income neighborhoods. It's
1: so, it's so goddamn funny. You're watching the author do cartwheels to try to make capitalism, like, cutesy and palatable. Good
0: luck! So deep. If we wanted to make this a good antiques-themed contemporary hat romance novel, how would you fix it? Oh boy,
1: how would I fix it? What I'd mentioned at the beginning, where I believe antiques should become an interesting storytelling pathway to understanding at least one, if not both, of the characters. Maybe compare and contrast how Abby perhaps lives with and derives lots of inspiration from her antiques. Maybe her kids' stories are all based on antiques that she lives with. And Holden's fondness for antiques despite having sort of an IKEA personality to sort of explore his viewpoints in the world. I think that would be great. It might actually be all this needs.
0: That might be the most vicious description you've ever given of a human being. Yeah? He has an IKEA personality.
1: He does. He does. Holden is very difficult to like because he is blank.
0: I still like him more than I like Abby, if only because he commits fewer crimes than Abby against persons.
1: Yeah, he's polite and respectful, so I do like him better than Abby. But there's also absolutely no meaningful distinction between him and any other like buttoned-up business type that wants to use her whimsy to fix his life. Like, he doesn't in any way behave differently than that would suggest. I thought that over time we were going to learn that he was also whimsical and creative, but, like, he had turned it to different tasks so that they were actually well-matched. But it's not- he actually says himself that, like, he's too serious and he needs someone like Abby to make his life less serious. And at no point does it address how this is different from the other men who have hurt Abby.
0: The only difference seems to be that at the end of the story, he's willing to move to her hometown instead of making her move to Silicon Valley. Which, given the state of telecommuting with aforementioned smartphones, isn't really much of a sacrifice on his part.
1: Yeah, there wasn't not enough development on his part. Definitely an Ikea person. (laughs) I don't know what I would do. I really don't know what I would do with Abby other than make antiques more important to her.
0: I think that would go a long way. I would definitely have her commit fewer assaults. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ideally, no assaults.
1: I find it insane that it's not until after when she's drawing these horrible pictures of him in front of his entire team where she's like, oh, no, I'm acting like a bully. And like, and you weren't when you destroyed his clothing. That wasn't bullying somehow because you were only doing it to make him go away so you could get what you want. That's like the definition of bullying. I think
0: pretty much everything
1: she does is to make him specifically feel bad. (laughs) She's a bully the whole time. So quirky. So, yeah, I would make Abby not a bully. Guess what? Geek keep
0: girl boss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no. He's not going to be able to man whore male wife his way out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> I would ditch all of the weird virtue bullshit that's going on. That's like trying to like make Holden seem less like an an evil like villain. Just kind of let him be sort of a shithead. And he can change his mind later about that. Or wait no, I, I'm you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cycle it all the way back. I'm gonna go back to my thing where Holden also has his own well of whimsy. He just uses it in a different way, because they seem to be trying to communicate that Holden is a creative type, but they do an extremely poor job of like actually getting that across. Like he's a problem solver, and that's his own kind of creativity. It really is which would balance against the whole feeling that he's just using Abby to make his life feel less oppressive. It would actually be that he's connecting on with her on a level. So that would be nice to see. I want less business stuff, uh, and this is just personal bullshit because I just it bores the hell out of me, and I didn't like it, and I thought it was extremely weird, especially when she, like... Okay, alright, so at the end, she books a business seminar with his company so that she can confess that she's in love with him. And if I had been the person who booked her... I would not pay her because she doesn't actually do anything except confess that she's in love with Holden and then they leave. And I'd be like, ma'am, this is highly unprofessional.
0: I got the impression that his boss was in on it, at which point I felt like the boss was overstepping some ethical boundaries in the workplace. But, you know,
1: (laughs) there's no part of it that feels good, right? No. So I would cut the business stuff. They introduce, (laughs) there's like this 11th hour introduction that he's got a niece That he wants to give all of Abby's books to. And I was just like, that could have been how they met, right? Like,
0: D, it's not an 11th hour introduction because in chapter six, he says, in fact, his niece was getting a Miss Leona book every year for her birthday. And then, about, oh, I don't know, 60 pages later, in an email to Abby, he says, Remember how I told you that I couldn't figure out what to get for my niece? Why didn't you tell me I'm the biggest idiot in the history of idiots? She's six, six, Abby. I want to get her the whole Miss Leona collection signed. Wait, oh wow, yeah. Holden has problems and should probably see a neurologist because he forgot (laughs) immediately that he was intending to buy those books for his niece despite the fact that he was dating the woman who wrote the books.
1: Maybe maybe they're compatible because her free-spiritedness is also a helpful catch for his short-term amnesia.
0: Jesus.
1: So she sets an alarm and it's like, all right, you have to go to the bookstore and also Holden needs to take his meds. I think he forgot again. <laughs> it's actually a whole part where they introduce how I would have preferred them to meet where there's a bookseller who says, Abby saved my business because she's a big time kids book author and she does readings and signings down here. And it's sort of become like an attraction in and of itself for families with kids. If they're going somewhere like to Cupertino or whatever, that's the only city they mentioned in California. So, I'm gonna use it. Like, then sometimes they stop in for like a weekend so that the kids can meet Abby and listen to the Miss Leona story time. And then they introduce that he's got a niece who he would like to introduce to Miss Leona. And I was just like, so why did that? Couldn't he have been like the begrudging uncle who had to take her down for the weekend because he was working too hard and his sister was worried about him and he doesn't spend enough time with his niece?
0: That would have been a great character building introduction to the central conflict of the story.
1: Yeah. And then, and he could be like not connecting with his niece because his niece likes all this frou frou garbage, and he's he is a practicalist at heart. And then he reconnects with his niece and comes to appreciate Abby. And Abby doesn't assault either him or his niece at any point, and they're very they're kind and polite to each other. <laughs> like that could have tied in better. And then I wouldn't have had to sit through two count them two
0: board meetings in a book that I'm reading for fun. <laughs> because again, this wasn't sold to us. As a business romance, which is its own whole genre, this was sold to us as an antiques romance.
1: Like, I'm picturing this scene where Holden brings his niece to the antique store because she's curious and Abby meets them again and she's telling the little girl all these stories about the antiques. And Holden is, like, admiring her charisma and her fascination and her facility with stories. Like, I'm picturing that scene and how much, like, I would find that cute in in a romance.
0: But it wasn't in this one.
1: And also because I would like the antiques to be put back into the book, please and thank you.
0: (laughs) Speaking of antiques in this book, there is one last quote I wanted to draw attention to, which is from Abby's point of view. She'd never collected antiques until Jennifer Day and her irresistible stories came along. So let's examine that for a second, because in their previous story, we met Jennifer Day. She is the inheritor of the Boardwalk Antique shop from her aunt, Daisy Day, who ran it for years and years and years and years and made it a well-established business for her niece to inherit. And Daisy's policy for acquiring things into the shop was that they had to have, frankly, unbelievable provenance. Every single antique in that shop has an index card with its full life history written out on it. Which means that the stories were in the antique shop before Jennifer even came near it. Abby has lived in this town for her entire adult life. The stories have been there the entire time, as has Abby. But she never collected them until Jennifer Day inherited the stories that were already there.
1: Um, Okay, new theory. Abby is so freewheeling and whimsical that she just hates old people, like, reflexively, so she never went in. And then one day she saw a young woman behind the counter. She, she finally felt welcome.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So, D, final thoughts on this middle sibling of the Antiques Trilogy? Actually, I have one more petty bullshit thing. Oh, please do. Did it make you... Okay, oh, two things. Three things. Uh, I am... <laughs>
1: if I never read another if I don't never read another romance that describes lips being bruised or swollen from kissing I will vomit if I have to read it again I guess that's not really that where that sentence started it makes me very angry I don't know if any of these people have kissed anyone
0: (laughs) Wow.
1: not to brag but I've kissed persons for prolonged periods of time and I and I didn't walk away looking like fucking Kim Kardashian (laughs)
0: Not to brag, but I've kissed someone. And my,
1: yeah, my lips are bruised and swollen. Like, I just got into a god five bouts with fucking Muhammad Ali.
0: I have, but I also kiss, like, vampire roleplayers, so, like... Well, they're doing a lot of chomping, yeah. That's the thing. Like, it's a very different vibe than I think this book was trying to give off. Yeah,
1: so, A, that makes me furious. The last paragraph describes Abby feathering her fingers against his eyelashes as, like, a cutesy makeout thing. Horrible. What the fuck? <laughs>
0: the girl you're dating just casually reaches for your eyeballs when you already know she's quirky enough to cut off your tie without warning don't touch
1: my eyeballs for the love of god unlike the swollen lips thing i have never seen this before and i pray i never see it again
0: i did have a friend in college who would ask people if he could lick their eyeballs but i'm pretty sure he was trying to be weird on purpose
1: that was very edgy on purpose yeah yes and my final petty bullshit Giving any credence to the idea that Shakespeare didn't write the Shakespeare plays makes me very mad. It makes me extremely angry.
0: Yep, there's no angle of that theory that isn't classist bullshit. Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. Suck it up. The only reason to bring up
1: that theory is to soundly disprove it. That is it. That is all you are allowed to do. All you can say is, actually, that's an extremely stupid theory that has no legs in reality. And you shouldn't believe it. And that's the only thing I ever want to hear your character saying.
0: It's the flat earth of the literary world, it is.
1: And he says it to Abby out loud, and she doesn't say anything, and that's unrealistic
0: for any author.
1: Oh, also, Holden doesn't know what Chinese fusion is, which I find extremely strange.
0: Especially for a guy living in California.
1: Yeah, like, the fact that he is not aware what cuisine Chinese fusion is, it's just like... It does give credence to your theory that he has amnesia.
0: Oh, man. So, D, are you looking forward to story number three? Not in the slightest, I am tentatively excited for it. I enjoyed the story less
1: than even I thought I did. Because I I walked away and I was like, well, okay, well, stuff happened. I liked when they were emailing each other to get to know each other better. And, and then I walked away going, wait, I hated this. <laughs> but the title of the next one is A Stitch in Time. So I'm actually hoping maybe it'll have more to do with antiques.
0: It might because the blurb is as follows. When Kate learns that the antiques dealer Henry Lancaster has purchased the sewing machine left to her by her grandmother, Kate is determined to get it back. What she isn't counting on is that Henry has just as much claim as Kate, and it doesn't help that Henry is good-looking and apparently single. Getting to know Henry becomes an unexpected surprise, sending her life into a sudden detour. Oh wait, is
1: Henry the antiques dealer that was teaching Jennifer the ropes? He is! He's the antiques dealer who gave her two tickets to an Imagine Dragons concert! (laughs) I really hope that that gets explained in this story, but I'm excited because I liked Henry, so I want to get to know him better.
0: Yeah, and it does seem to be a little more antique-centric than the story we just read.
1: Yeah, his his whole job is antiques, so I'm actually really hoping, fingers
0: crossed, antiques will show up in this one.
1: I'm also really curious about how they're going to handle antiques sharks versus the actively mourning Because it seems to me that this is the estate sale that was mentioned for a woman who'd recently passed away. And that this is actually the fallout from that. So I'm
0: really curious to see how that's going to get viewed. We'll just have to find out, you and I. The end me. (laughs) The end me. Until then. If you have an episode topic you'd like us to cover, you can email us, at gmail.com, Post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. Or tag us on Tumblr, .tumblr antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com tell them about the reviews
1: oh i'm sorry i was thinking really hard about antiques (laughs) (laughs) you know like abby never does uh if you (laughs) liked us dunking on the story that i lied and said that i liked (laughs) or you want to yell at me for lying to you
0: you can scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this and leave us a review if you would like to purchase some vintage goods, you can check out our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques freaks. I'm told we have more clowns on the way. I am going to meet you people at every turn. I'm going to have clowns.
1: <laughs> I actually, I have a very special clown doll. I'm kind of in love with it. I think you are going to be too. And I'm excited for it to find its final home.
0: Will you give this clown its forever home? Find, find out. out. <laughs> etsy.com slash shop slash antiques If you would like to listen to Deleted Scenes or our special podcast bonus episode presentation of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks.
1: Which I especially recommend if you liked listening to us review books.
0: Special shout out to our current patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love.
1: So much love.
0: And thank you in particular for listening.
1: That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.